Don't hold your breath on those reclining pews, folks. Um, our scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of Mark. It bridges from the second chapter into the third chapter. But before we read these two consecutive Sabbath stories, I'll invite us to bow our heads for a word of prayer. God, the air is filled with words, words, and more words. Cut through all that static, we pray, and speak to us a word, the kind that leads to the lives that you would have us lead. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus said to them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need of food? He entered the house of God when Abiathar was high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priests to eat. And he gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for humankind and not humankind for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there who had a withered hand. They watched him to see whether he would cure him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And Jesus said to the man who had the withered man, hand, come forward. And then he said to them all, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? To save life or to kill? But they were silent. And Jesus looked around at them with anger. He was grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. But the Pharisees went out and immediately conspired with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So... I heard a story from a parent in the church. He was describing how his son experienced a recent moment in worship. It was the um, unfortunate moment when I thought it was a good idea to rewrite and then actually sing Johnny Cash's Folsom Prison Blues. Maybe four weeks ago, five, six weeks ago. Well, this father was sitting on the pew next to his son, who suddenly perked up when he heard the song begin. And then he started to sing along, but, you know, with the real words to Folsom Prison Blues. And as I twisted the lyrics to fit the story of Samson, however, he looked at his dad and said, this is not how it goes. It reminded me of a day many years ago when I realized that uh, my daughter had been inducted 
into the knowledge of a holy, time-honored playground chant. And as soon as she started in on it, I was right there singing along with her, Jenny and Jeremy sitting in a tree, K-I-S-S-I-N-G. First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes the baby in the baby carriage. You guys know that one? Yeah, you know that one. I know you do. Here's the thing, though. She did a full stop right there. Her dad kept going full steam ahead, not realizing I was all on my own, sucking his thumb, wetting his pants, doing the hula hula dance. She looked at me like I was from Mars. And then I heard it, Daddy, that is not how it goes. Have you ever gotten attached to your version of anything? Have you ever felt that wave of indignation when somebody messes with it? It's only the second chapter of Mark, and already Jesus is causing tension on the playground. We get back-to-back Sabbath stories here, and in both it would seem, it would seem that Jesus is advocating for something of a slack Sabbath. His disciples pluck grain on the Sabbath. That's harvesting. That is working. And when challenged by some Pharisees, Jesus gives his disciples a pass. Sabbath was made for humans, not humans, for the Sabbath. You can almost hear the gasps of disapproval. Jesus, that is not how it goes. Now, I do need to pause here for a moment and remind us of something very important. Jesus himself is a rabbi. Jesus is a faithful Jew. I cannot emphasize that enough. So this is not Jesus abolishing a rigid Jewish faith that only had room for rules and more rules. That's not fair to Judaism now or then. This particular set of Pharisees does not speak for or represent the entirety of Judaism, past or present. But still, still it does appear that Jesus is advocating a certain laxity about the Sabbath. Now let's do a refresher. Keeping Sabbath is the fourth of the Ten Commandments. Resting from our labors is right up there with not stealing, not lying, not taking another's life. Yet still we tend to treat it as the cute, quaint commandment, the one we pat on the head before dismissing it completely. Dr. Dorothy Bass observed, The fourth commandment is the only one that people proudly boast about disobeying. We will gladly tell others about how busy we are and how much we have done and how much we have yet to accomplish. We talk about how we do not have time to rest and that we would be glad to relax, but we are far too busy. We do not boast about lying or stealing or worshiping idols, but we are proud to tell others about our breaking the fourth commandment. So is Jesus backing us up 
on this dismissive attitude towards Sabbath? Is he saying, you know, that Sabbath business, that really isn't all that important. Are we off the hook and free to pack our days full of work and or resume padding activities? Well, not exactly. Jesus is not doing away with that playground chant. He's not saying it's stupid and you shouldn't sing it anymore. He's adding to it. And I think he's giving us the best and most important part of Sabbath keeping. So it's no mistake that right after Jesus reframes the Sabbath as being in service to humans, that Mark has this second episode centered around the man with the withered hand. So the same Pharisees who were so scandalized by Jesus' slack Sabbath policy, they're watching and they're waiting So sure that bleeding heart on sleeve, Jesus will cure the man on the Sabbath. This time, he will violate the fourth commandment himself. This will give them the evidence they need to discredit him and to destroy him. Now, I want us to think about that for a moment. These Pharisees, these Pharisees are using the Sabbath to destroy a fellow human being. They're using one commandment to violate another commandment. Well, Jesus perceives the trap, so he just puts it out there. He asks them, what does everybody think? Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save life or to kill? Seriously, folks, what is the purpose of the Sabbath? And who is really honoring it here? The Pharisees, they only prove his point when they leave the synagogue and immediately begin their plot to kill Jesus. Now, within any faith tradition, not just Judaism, in any faith tradition, there is this temptation to reduce a beautiful religion to a set of rules and regulations. The Pharisees in this story use the Sabbath as this yardstick to separate the sinners from the saints and to keep them separated. But Jesus will have no part in this. In fact, after Jesus asks that question, is it lawful to do good or harm, to save life or to kill, after he's met with their seething silence, when he sees the depth of their commitment to use something as beautiful and life-giving as the Sabbath to cause harm. Mark employs a very strong word to express the depth of his outrage. The word in Greek is orgaze. Now, the, the English translation that's in that pew Bible will render it, he looked around at them with anger. Orgaze is more like a settled wrath that is opposed to something that one feels to be unjust, that is absolutely wrong. One might say that Jesus looked at them filled with wrath. He isn't mildly annoyed. He is livid. This is an absolute inversion of what the Sabbath ought to be. This is not how it goes. 
Now, if I understand these two stories and how they play off each other, Jesus isn't slacking on the Sabbath. He's not abolishing the Sabbath. He's clarifying it. Sabbath, it's not a box to check. It's not a litmus test for righteousness. And for heaven's sake, the Sabbath is not to be weaponized. The reason we keep the Sabbath is so that we might have a constant reminder of our commitment to life, our own life, and the life of our neighbors. The Sabbath is a weekly pause button that pulls us out of whatever destructive schemes we may be drawn into. And there are plenty of ways that we all participate in one another's destruction, figuratively, if not literally. Spreading gossip, character assassination, the circular firing squad of wokeness where we eviscerate would-be allies in service to some impossible standards of self-righteousness. Or what about that unquestioning loyalty to some political figure in whose name we will blow up the loving, caring relationships with people who actually have been an intimate part of our lives. We all participate in destructive schemes of one kind or another. Sabbath invites us to stop and consider just how much that is hurting us. You know, come to think of it, I wonder if that's why Sabbath is actually a commandment rather than an invitation. You know, an invitation, it's something you accept or decline. And if Sabbath was about nothing more than your personal time in the beach chair, your personal rest and relaxation, well, then I suppose it wouldn't matter one way or the other if you accepted that invitation or not. But Sabbath isn't just about me. It's not just about you. It's about us. It's about the health of our relationships with one another. And Sabbath is not an invitation. It is a commandment to stop. Just stop. Stop plotting to destroy your neighbor. Stop playing to win at all costs. Stop maneuvering to gain some insignificant advantage. It's not worth it. So just stop. Imperative mood. Commandment. But you know, for the record... When we practice that fourth commandment in spirit and in truth, I suspect we'll find that there is nothing slack about that kind of Sabbath. Not slack at all. <laughs>